So would you recommend starting a YouTube channel to other people? This is my most broad answer I can say. No. Hello and welcome to Given the Platform, the show where we give unsung people the chance to flaunt their extraordinary passions and knowledge. Do you have something that you want to talk about? Contact us at giventheplatform at gmail.com. Today we have on Frederick Chen, a famous YouTuber, and on account of that, I feel like we might have a few new viewers today. If so, then welcome. Let me give you all a quick sell. We've had episodes so far on wellness, influencing, the theater industry, horror movies, Twilight, and One Direction. In future episodes, we hope to look at things like body image, hustle culture, good parenting, possibly even Mormonism, and anything that you might want to contribute if you'd like to contact us. Please make sure to follow and download this podcast on your preferred podcasting platform and rate us five stars on iTunes. Today's episode is on being a YouTuber and Asian American representation in media. I hope you all enjoy. Today I'm joined by Frederick Chen. He is a YouTuber and he is also an integrated digital media major at New York University. Would you like to tell us what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, so integrated digital media is like an NYU specific major, they like to say, but basically it's just combining web development, coding, graphic design, and all around like learning how digital media works in in the world nowadays. Great. Thanks. Um, thank you for coming on as well. Yeah, of course. I love being on podcasts. So I today... have my own. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to the plugs at the end. Um, okay. Today, we're going to be talking about being a content creator and also what it's like being a content creator, a part of a minority group, like being Asian American or being gay. Um, Frederick is both Asian American and gay, so I'm interested to pick his brain about how being a part of those two communities affects his content and how he thinks they're represented both in content on the internet like YouTube, but also mainstream media as well, now that YouTube is kind of blending into that category, don't you think? Yeah, um, I think YouTube used to be taken as this like other website that you just posted funny videos. And like this was, I say, five to 10 years ago, it wasn't taken seriously. But now it's blown up to this entire new industry. That's like, you don't joke about YouTube just being a fake job because people are making millions. And like, huge careers are coming out i mean youtube tv is like a new thing that's now been integrated into most of our lives if you want the subscription yeah i think we've all seen like these news articles and just like the general knowledge that um cable is dying and um movies are still going pretty strong but a lot of people are favoring things like netflix favoring comfort of home over um what media used to be And especially with these small form content that comes from YouTube and these 10 minute, five minute videos, maybe longer, but still shorter than like a television show. It just brings a lot of intrigue. And I think it works a lot more with the brain of the youth who unfortunately, but also maybe fortunately, I'm no scientist. I can't say whether it's good or bad, has um, once shorter forms of media and not having to watch through 6,000 commercials between five minute clips of a show yeah i mean like youtube still has those like little um mid-roll ads that you can do but they're nowhere as long as like the three minutes that you're used to but we do have the option to play a three minute ad if we will if we do want to torture our audience like that wait you have the option to play like longer ads 
yeah, it's like a specific thing you can check. It's like, do you want to play longer ads that are up to 10 minutes? And no one has ever checked it just because everyone knew that doing that is just being like on TV again and people are trying to stray away from that. Hold on, longer ads or more ads? Like Longer ads, like an actual non-skippable three-minute ad could be played on YouTube theoretically, but no one does. That is insane. I've never heard of that. Yeah, because no one wants to do it. It's like so risky. Oh my God. Well, on the theme of YouTube, now that we've started there, I just wanted to pick your brain. I We've talked about YouTube before in our friendship and in non-recorded conversations we've had, mm-hmm. but of course we're on the can. So um, can you tell me a little bit about your experience as a YouTuber? What What is it like for you to be a YouTuber? If you could encapture it into like a few minutes of discussing your life now as a YouTuber? I mean, okay, so like, don't start at the very beginning, like, just talk about how it is now. No, uh, yeah, we're gonna get into it. But just Mm -hmm. discuss like, I guess the general vibe of being a YouTuber. What would you say first, if you were like on a date and someone asked you what it was like to be a YouTuber? Okay, so I'd say like the gist of being a YouTuber is just creating weekly content or typically weekly weekly content on YouTube. And it's just using a camera and usually you're talking to yourself. But at the end of the day, you're just trying to be entertaining for an audience. And that's that's the very like simple description of it. And would you say that kind of in lines that's kind of in line with um how you view YouTube as a job? I try to view it as that because like, obviously I want to have fun with it and I do, but I know that's not the reality for a majority of YouTubers. Like that's my definition of what I want YouTube to be for me. So like, not like, I I don't want to say non-committal, but um, not reliant on numbers. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone has to, if you want it to be a job, but like, I try not to focus on solely numbers because then I would just turn into what people call a sellout. Yeah, I mean, it is hard not to look at numbers, of course, with my uh, flourishing numbers of this podcast. Um, it's impossible <laughs> to just say, like, oh, the numbers don't matter. Like, that's just, if if anyone says that, I just don't believe them. Because, like, you have to care about them a little bit if you want this to be, like, your livelihood. Yeah, can you just talk a little bit about what that feeling is like? Because, like, I made, I, like, the joke I made just a few seconds ago. I'm looking at numbers for the sake of, like, I have to get to a threshold of numbers for advertisements and things like that but Mm -hmm. um i don't really know what it's like to look at numbers and be like am i popular enough like that hasn't crossed my mind yet because this is a new uh medium for me so what is that like for you i'd say like this is the thing that i don't think a lot of youtubers talk about i try to on my channel i think i i think my last week video i did rant about it but basically it's like it's mentally exhausting if you care about numbers and you're not the top one percent like PewDiePie or any like all those people over a million subscribers and get over 500k views they are set for life but anyone who is under that and has to build their way up it's incredibly hard nowadays just because everything is so saturated like you we all talk about like makeup is so saturated there's so many different brands but there are so many channels that like sometimes there just isn't enough room for everyone now and it becomes this competition of who can get to a million who can keep themselves like growing no matter what because God forbid you start dying, YouTube just takes you off the platform and they stop pushing your content. So like even when I first started, I did it with the intention of have fun, but also like try to make this your job because it's your dream job. And I've always had this like thing over my head of try to pay for college, like don't have your parents pay it for you because I, I don't know why I think that way, but I just wanted to be independent. So 
I would look at my numbers and say like, oh, am I growing? Like if I start losing subscribers, I start to think in my head like, oh, people don't like me anymore. Or I'm just like, this is your deadline. Like uh, there's this thing that YouTubers say, the moment your first viral video is um, becomes viral, you have four years to get the most of it, to milk it before you like no one cares about you anymore. And that's a trend that's happened. Like, do you remember Tyler Oakley, Connor Franta, Grace Helbig, Mamrie Hart? Do any of these ring a bell? Yes, I do. Yeah, so like these are people I grew up watching, but just because of how long they've been on YouTube, if you don't change your content or if you simply just don't change as a person or like none of the above, YouTube just doesn't like you anymore or people just grow up, you don't become popular. You're kicked off. And like instead of having hundreds of thousands of views, you're stuck with like less than 20K. Yeah, I get that. It is such a barrage of content that I find myself unsubscribing from people when it's like it seems like the tiniest minutia can change and it could become more of um, a nuisance to see their stuff than actually wanting to watch it. Very few people like consistently subscribe to. And that's just like, that's the same for me. I only subscribe to, I subscribe to over 500 people, but I only watch typically 10 to 20, mainly because I don't have enough time as I used to as a kid. But every time a YouTuber uploads a video, like you will lose subscribers at first. It's just a thing because people either come for your one specific type of video or just like they subscribe for a week and they said, eh, never mind. But that just, it kind of hits you. It's like, well, is this normal? Like, should I be worried? And I think that's the thing that a lot of people try to, uh, like they don't realize that YouTubers are going through this. We're always thinking about how to become, like how to make the next video better, how to make sure we don't lose so many subscribers that we just become a dead creator. Yeah. No, that's how you think as a creator. That's how I think. I don't think, I, I think the people, I mean, I don't talk to anyone who's like on YouTube. I have only one to two people that I talk to, but even then I don't talk about YouTube because I, I don't like talking about it all the time, but it's just, I don't know what people with over a million think about in terms of like um, numbers and if they care as much. I would go as far to say that I think that a lot of YouTubers care about that. I'm only saying that not from a YouTube perspective, but being in a program myself, which is performance-based and it is of competition-based and you must work with others and you must compete against others and it just becomes, it's always an issue of are you doing well? Are you doing better than this person or that person? So I would presume that a lot of people feel that way. Although we don't know for sure. The thing is like, it's not a competition with others because like there is like, you're literally not competing with them. Like there's room for anyone to be a, to a creator. Like one person can subscribe to so many people. You don't have to worry about like them going to another channel. It's just a competition with yourself. Like, are you good enough to be a YouTuber or are you entertaining? And that's just the questions you always ask. Sounds like lovely questions to ask yourself. <laughs> it's I, I always do it every day and it just, it never ends. In terms of what other people think YouTube is like, what rumors, what thoughts do you want to dispel and prove wrong? I guess there. I technically I can't really prove them wrong because like some people are this way. Like the stereotypes are based off of facts. And when I t- like, I guess the first example is YouTubers don't go to college and they're stupid. Like that's purely false. Some YouTubers are graduates from college. Uh, to list some examples, Jenna Marbles was a graduate at I think Penn State. And she had a master's degree in sports psychology and medicine. I'm currently at NYU and I'm going to continue my education. I'm not thinking about dropping out for YouTube. 
but there's a lot of people who just simply don't need to. And it's not a bad decision. It's just their personal choice of, I know this is working for me. I want to focus on being successful while I still can. And as always, like they can always get their education again. There's no deadline for it. But I think there's a stigma that a lot of YouTubers are just uneducated in general, or we're just like people who have no lives except being on YouTube. And I just think that's totally false. I mean, there there are some people like that, but it's unfair to list like to put everyone under that same umbrella. Yeah, I get that part. Also, a lot of them, a lot of YouTubers are actors, in my opinion, or at least a lot of the old ones like Mamrie Hart, I remember. Well, technically, all of us. Yeah, like you could say any YouTuber is an actor because there is this thing that like you have to put up a persona sometimes like some people are not always themselves. It's not like we become a different person, but obviously like sometimes if we're feeling sad and our content is supposed to be uplifting and focused on entertaining, we have to tell ourselves to like try to be happier, like be happier on camera. Don't show them how sad you are because they're not going to like that. And it's not this idea of acting, but more like hiding the fact that you're not always yourself on camera. Yeah, I was also just coming from the point of saying like, it comes with the territory when someone's an actor and maybe they're trained in acting in school. They're not taken as educated, even though they went to formal education. That's what I was trying to say. Mm -hmm. So like, I get that kind of whole, if you're doing um, media and it's not like tech side of media, you're considered uneducated no matter what kind of schooling you had. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a like there's a line between I mean, what do people mean by uneducated? Like you didn't go to college, you didn't get a degree well, or just even, you're, not, you're not well spoken. Yeah, I don't even know what that would even be considered because everyone has such a different bar for what educated is. Yeah, because if we want to talk about YouTubers just being uneducated people in general, there's far more people who are uneducated than have gone to school. Because, like, take all the top creators like Jake Paul, Logan Paul, all of them may have gone to high school and gone to college and dropped out. But even then, they're still known as one of the most uneducated people on YouTube because of their, just the way they act and portray themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, People like that who get a lot of hate comments. That just made me yeah. think. That made me think. I'm gonna I'm gonna veer off a little bit. Have sure. you ever? What kind of hate comments do you get? I don't. This isn't really oh, too I, fancy, but I want to know. I think my first hate comment because I knew going into YouTube like you're gonna get a hate comment, but I just wasn't prepared because like I don't. Not everyone has to deal with hate comments online. I feel like more people are either watching it happen or being the people who do type them. And my first hate comment I think was like. I think your hair is a little bit off in this video. And it, it just like hurt. Like this is the most random comment. But the fact that that's the first one. But just, did it did it hurt because it wasn't like necessarily a hate comment? Just like a, it just wasn't like what was that comment for is my question. But now I've gotten numb to it. I mean, I get called like the gay F slur all the time. I get called things like you're disgusting, like you're going to go to hell. And I, I, I just don't care because those amount of comments are like the 0.1% of all the other positive comments I see. And they also get flushed out. Like I don't, I don't check every comment, like, cause I'm looking for the hate comment. I just check what people like. Yeah. That makes sense. Sorry for that little, uh, no, you're good. I mean, I just don't, course. but I was so curious cause I had never asked you about that before. And I'm sure that you got, well, you get some. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, there's this 
category in YouTube. Like there's a called a held for review, which is YouTube says, yeah, these are probably hate comments and very discriminatory and use slurs. You might not want to check this tab. And there's also a likely spam that you can put your own words. Like I don't, I personally take a lot of words that are just very inappropriate off my channel just for the sake of, I don't want people to see them. And I just, I don't bother checking that tab because why would you put yourself through that? But I feel like a lot of YouTubers care so much about how other people see them that they will spend hours going through comments on Instagram and YouTube just to see how people are reacting. Yeah, I mean, I can do that. With political posts, I love looking through the comments. <laughs> and I can't, yeah, I can't keep doing it, but it's like a habit. Mm -hmm. Like I had to get rid of that habit because it's like, I just always felt like I was wasting time and it's just not good for your mental health at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Especially when the comments are not about someone else, but about you, I could imagine. Yeah. You have to imagine being able to receive, I say like over thousands of positive comments a day, but also knowing that there's hundreds of comments there that people don't like you. And I've learned to accept that. Yeah. People aren't going to like me. I'm gay. I'm Asian. Like that's just, no one's going to like that all the time. So live with it. But it also seems like you have a good community of subscribers that I know it just doesn't seem like a toxic fan base to me. Oh, they're just so sweet. I mean, they're also like incredibly bitchy to me because I like my amount of sarcasm reflects their amount of sarcasm. So we end up fighting with each other just for fun. Like they they've been able to insult me more than I do on camera. And I just love that type of like behavior because it's just it's a community where it's like, I'm not above you. I don't want people to think like, I'm a creator, you're fans, like we are separate. I'd rather bond with them and be able to like have this safe space for everyone to feel like they can be themselves in the comments and talk to each other. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. I also noticed that they seem, is your audience younger? They're between like middle and college students, middle school and college students. Okay, that makes sense because looking through the comments, they're all so sweet. But they all, like, remind me of me in high school. So it was interesting to see, like, it was interesting. I wanted to know. Yeah. Well, I have also seen, like, people who are adults who watch me. And, like, because um, I think, like, I was in the newspaper for our school, for our town. And my town has, like, a lot of more old people. So eventually I saw, like, elderly people seeing me on the street and saying hi. So I in the newspaper and I was like, oh, my God, I hope you didn't watch the video because I curse so much in them. But they all treated me with respect. And... The idea that even adults can tolerate my content just makes me feel better because like I, I didn't go into it specifically saying I only want high schoolers to watch me and middle schoolers because those are the largest audience on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. It's just also I find that you never really did anything to attract a specific audience. You just did what you wanted to. and Yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I don't know why so many people are younger, but then I have to think about it. Like they make up over 50% of the viewers on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it, that's a trend for everyone. Like everyone's audience is going to be more young because they have more time to watch YouTube. Yeah, well, that's for sure. <laughs> Especially nowadays. When I first met you and we started talking, you had... 500,000 subscribers, right? I did. I don't remember. <laughs> I think it was like 500,000. Okay. Um, how many do you have now? 660,000 almost. And it hasn't even been a year. And that's crazy. Are you sure it was 500,000? I It, it might have been like 560,000, but it was in the 500s and you gained almost 100K. Dang. 
Yeah. Well, I was supr- maybe I'm wrong because it seems like you look at your numbers a lot. So who knows? I don't check like every, like I don't keep track of it, but like obviously I'll do milestones and like I've screenshot my milestones and they're just in my camera roll. But I don't. I always forget. Like I only remember the first three years and that's it because mm. I just wanted to see how it went. And that's when you saw like the most exponential growth. Yeah, I just think it's crazy that you can grow so much in the little time I've known you. To me, 100,000 in a few months is crazy. That, that is a lot. But some people do that daily. Like that's just a they can get 100,000 in a day or even in an hour at times. But I'd say like number wise and j- just thinking about how fast you grow. I think in my first year, I had 100 subscribers. The second year was 1,000. And then the third year was 100,000. So like that to me was just, it went up by a power of 10 each time. So and you- now... So like I yeah I grew like basically by tens each time, but now technically just thinking about percentage wise, it's a slower growth. It's just more numbers in general, so you mm-hmm. feel like you're not growing as fast. Got it. But you went from zero to a hundred thousand in a year. No, no, no. zero to a hundred in a year, and then a hundred to a, a thousand in the in the next year. It took me three years to get to a hundred thousand. Got it. Got it. Okay. But now you're so much further and. You've gotten to a point where it has become like it could be your full-time job, right? Yeah. I mean, I like it's still is my job right now, but like obviously I'm I'm trying to find like other jobs within NYU, like just on-campus jobs that are remote, but it's just a way for me to pay for college and I genuinely like doing it. So what's not to like why would I stop? Yeah, I get that. When you graduate college, what do you see yourself doing? Do you see yourself just doing YouTube full time? Or do you see yourself picking up another job and still doing YouTube, maybe dropping YouTube? What's your plan? I never know how to answer this question because like, yeah, I would like to say I want to do YouTube for the rest of my life, but I don't know where I'm going to be in the next, what is it, three years before I graduate or two years before I graduate? Because like, I know I got this degree for a reason. It was supposed to be a safeguard, but I'm just going to say, like, I'm going to go with the flow. If it is able to make enough for me and I'm able to sustain myself in New York City, yeah, I'll keep doing it. I mean, I don't think I'm going to stop anytime soon. Like, I genuinely like making videos just for fun and I I do it for me. But I do like the idea of pursuing other jobs or just thinking about doing other things in my life because I don't think YouTube is the end for me. Mm -hmm. And you've never thought about dropping out? Oh, I have thought about dropping out so many times. No, but I mean, on, the, not... on the basis of YouTube, not just because oh, school that too. is really no, hard. I thought about stopping YouTube for many, like, I think any, any YouTuber thinks about it because sometimes it just gets to you. Like, you don't want to have to do it anymore. You just feel like powerless because nothing you do works and you don't feel like you're growing and you just start to give up. But at the end of the day, like, I tell, I just try to tell myself, if you could go through those first three years, you can do any, like, number of years Frederick because the first three years were the times that I doubted myself the most whether or not people would like me or whether or not I could do it and now that I have a bigger self-concept of myself and I'm more confident like with who I am as a person I don't really care about having to meet expectations I just want to do it for me yeah and I come from a point where in my first podcast I had mentioned I'm probably going to stick to this for two years It's like Mm -hmm. some minimalist concept, the two-year rule that I learned from some YouTuber that was like, even if you suck and if you fail for two years straight, keep doing it for two years and you're bound to have grown in some significant way to have made it worth it. But it's those who just start and then quit 
that's yeah. the problem. So like you have to tell yourself that there's room to grow. Like some people did not get popular on YouTube until the sixth year. Like it's just that one video that blows them up. Mm-hmm. So you've never thought about quitting college because of YouTube though? Um, I've thought about it because I've seen so many other YouTubers do it. I mean, it's just like a trend almost to go into college for the first year and leave right after. And I think that's, they don't plan on doing that. I think it's just, they end up realizing that YouTube is doing more for them than colleges. So why not drop out? And I'm not going to say like, I don't support that idea. I'm still an education pusher at the end of the day, but sometimes college isn't for everyone. I mean, you're thinking about paying full time for four years, but you don't have an idea of what to do with a degree and you have no interest in the degree you're pursuing. So why bother if YouTube is working, you know? And my dad told me like, Frederick, you didn't have to go to college. And he said this after I got into NYU and already committed. So I was like, why did you say this now? Like you could, this wasn't a conversation a year ago, but he said he supports me in any decision. And I have the freedom to leave right now if I want to, but I guess I personally just want to be able to go to college and not show an audience that like, I don't, I just don't want to encourage them to drop out. And I also feel like it's better for me in the long run to just get a degree. Yeah, but I'm sure you can make so much money off that video. I dropped out (laughs) of college. I could, I dropped out of college. Yeah. I mean, everyone has those videos, but I just... I think it's time that YouTubers change the stigma that we're all uneducated by actually going to and continuing your education. Like, you, do you know um, Christine from Simply No Logical? Yes. I feel like she is one of the most, first of all, influential and like role model for people. I look up to her every day just because she graduated from college, has a full-time job, does YouTube, owns a company, has over six channels, and is still like an education pusher and has not bothered leaving her government job and i just think there's no excuse for any other youtuber to say like yeah i just do youtube for my whole life like a screw college who cares because that's just like why would you want to show that to your audience and her audience is very young more younger than mine and the idea that she is able to show all of them that this is possible just makes me feel better that there are YouTubers out there who do want to push education first. And I also think it's very funny because her content, and I don't say this in a mean way. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It's her so content is dumb. very juvenile. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, mine is too. Mm. Maybe not as much as hers, but like, I think YouTubers just want to make a fool of themselves because you don't get to all the time in real life. Like, I think all of us are still kids on the inside. I just got to do it as my job now. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have, I, I don't want to say juvenile, I wouldn't say juvenile, but it's definitely not like the very popular, like, what's her name? Best dressed, like the very, like, kind of mature as a teenager, like indie vibes that a lot of people oh, get. Oh, main character. Very main character energy, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I just want to have fun. I mean, like, there are some videos out there that I'm like, if someone, if I'm trying to apply for a job sees that, I think they're going to side eye me because they might think I'm a little crazy. But I just think they have to be able to look past that and realize that we all want to be like this. Like, who doesn't want to make a fool of themselves? Also, it's content based on what you want to make. And that never is dependent on the person. I'm incredibly selfish with my content. I think about it on the dot. I don't care about what my fans like. I'm like, I even ask them, like, what do you want? And their ideas, I'm like, that's boring. I'm just going to do what I want to do tonight. And they appreciate it. Yeah, I I get that. They put up with me. (laughs) The reason I made this was... 
because I had someone, the, the whole point of this podcast came from this premise that I wanted to ask someone questions um, on parenting, like some father that I knew of a friend. And I was like, I really want to sit him down before I have children and like ask him, what will it take to be a good father? <laughs> and what did you do? Because I knew him mm-hmm. as this incredibly like yeah, amazing, like a 100% like perfect score father. And I was like, what did you do so I can mimic that? And the reason for this podcast is that I was thinking about that in the shower one day and I literally went, oh, what if I just recorded that and I put that out for the world? And then I grew that into like, what do I want to, not only what do wanna, people want to talk about, but what do I want to hear people discuss? And like, mm-hmm. like you were talking about with education, like it's kind of a way for me, even after college, I'm hoping to continue this, to continue that education even if it's not in like an academia perspective. But I get what you're coming where you're coming from with the whole like you create content based on what you want and people just like view you as that kind of person, but it really doesn't matter what kind of person you are. You can make childish content because that's what you want to be, even though you're not. So would you recommend starting a YouTube channel to other people? This is my most broad answer I can say. No. Well, you it's see all these videos nowadays. Ever. Yeah, you see all these videos nowadays of like people like, you should start a YouTube channel and here's why. Like, oh, I I don't know. Maybe I'm a minority in this, but I hate those videos. It's like anyone can be a YouTuber if you do this. Like how to make a good YouTube video, how to make a good thumbnail, X, Y, Z. I think those are the worst how-to videos aside from 5-Minute Crafts that I've seen on YouTube just because it's... It's definitely for the people, like, it's not for people who are, how do you say, um, uh, like, what's the opposite of thicker skinned? Like, thin skinned? I don't know. But the people who can't handle a lot of criticism, basically. It's a lot of people, like, if you are very um, anxious and you self-doubt, you doubt yourself a lot, I think YouTube is hell for you then. Like, this is your personal hell because you will be doing that forever and it never ends, in my opinion. So you wouldn't say it's worth it in any way? I don't even know if it's like, because yes, you're making money and you're able to do it by doing YouTube's or by making videos. But on the other side, you have to either edit all those videos and do them, which is draining. I think people try to, I think that's something people don't realize. YouTubers can spend weeks editing. Like Best Dress spends weeks making one video and just is always on that Premiere Pro or Final Cut Pro, just using her fingers to tap away. And for me, I'm lucky because it can take like six to hour, eight hours only a week. But even then, that's just like it gets exhausting just having to look at a screen for that long and just grind out a video because you know you're being late and you end up just getting sleep deprived because I'm up editing at 4 a.m. And I know that's like that doesn't sound like a lot. But when you do that every week and having to constantly output that, it takes a toll on your mental health because some days you just don't want to make a video, but then you have to because the algorithm will push you away if you don't. Like that's on your mind. Okay. And that's that's where it turns into a competition because like YouTube is all about watch time and how much audience retention and how much you can get your audience to keep watching you. So if you don't make that video, you are essentially losing like a month's worth of work of potentially growing your channel. Wow. And it's easier for other like for other people, if you have an editor, that's much better. But sometimes you don't want to pay for an editor. I personally have never wanted an editor because I know that they won't make the video how I want. And I'm just I'm very anal about it. Like I'd rather just do it myself than tell someone else to do it because I don't feel like I'm 
creating my own content anymore. I feel like it's being passed off, you know? Yeah. Because I've always told myself, like, YouTube is for me. Like, it's I want to do it all myself. I don't want to have to rely on someone. That's why I don't want a manager. But it's hard to do it yourself because sometimes you do need a manager. And it's just it's just easier to have a manager and an editor and to not have to think about doing all everything by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> don't follow your dreams if they're YouTube. If it's a YouTube dream, say, don't follow it. I'm not going to say don't follow it, but just go into it. Don't expect it to be everything you wanted it to be because I definitely had higher expectations. So you've talked about all these things about YouTube in general. I just wanted to ask how your Asian heritage and culture plays into what you create as a YouTuber. And mm -hmm. do you think it does? I mean, I think that maybe um, your identity in the gay community does more. Yeah, But what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I would love to, I think like my heritage just plays into it passively because just seeing an Asian YouTuber in general be successful is something that is not as common. I mean, the majority of people are still white and it's, that's like, that's a reality you have to deal with. And any minority creator is seen as a bigger role model for those people growing up. Because like when I grew up, I had no one to look up to besides just like, I, I don't know. Like Mulan was my only role model and she's not even real. She's a cartoon and a myth. <laughs> but like I had people like Tyler Oakley and Connor Franta who were gay and I could look up to them. But I always thought about being Asian and like the reason why I feel so dis like detached to it as an Asian American is because not only did I not go to Chinese school and learn how to write, but because I can only speak it and I can't read or write. But I just didn't have anyone growing up that was Asian to look at on media and on TV. And if I did, they were just played as the nerd or the person who is an immigrant and can't speak English. Was that kind of a motivation in starting your YouTube? Like becoming that for someone else? Uh, I don't think ninth grade Frederick even had that on his mind. I don't think he was smart enough to realize that, yeah, I want to be the like the Asian YouTuber because at that point, Eugene Liang was already very popular and I looked up to him and there were a lot of other creators coming out like Bretman Rock. He is one of the main ones. And, and there, there's a lot more now like Anna Akana. But I guess I love I, Anna Akana. I know she's so funny. She's my favorite. Uh, I, she's one of the ones that I was thinking of when I was like a, a someone that I've been subscribed to. And I haven't unsubscribed since mm -hmm. like 2000. Oh, I've been with her since 12. For, for a while. Also Community Channel. I don't think many people remember uh, her. I love Community Channel. Video. But her skits were so funny. Because she doesn't and, post anything anymore. And I really want her to because she was well, so good. I know. But sometimes it's just, it's not for everyone. Like, you eventually get tired of it. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know when I'm going to get tired of it. But I I guess, like, when I reached 100,000, I started getting comments saying, like, I look up to you so much. Like, I'm gay and Asian. And i never really seen someone like you in media. And it's just nice to know that I, like, you exist and there's hope for me and i just i just thought like whoa like this is a lot for to put on me like i did not think i was a role model i just fucking around on youtube i still do i don't think i'm the best role model for people to look up to because of my foul language sometimes but it's just nice to know that there are people like me when i was younger who were gay and asian and didn't know their identity and knew that their family didn't accept them and who can find an escape on youtube because that's the end, at the end of the day, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be there for people who didn't feel like they belonged in society. It doesn't matter who you are. But if you just wanted to laugh or to laugh at someone and smile because of how stupid he is on camera, I'm that guy. <laughs> and what was it like growing up gay and Asian? 
in your household in um almost the south would you consider oh definitely the it's south carolina I yeah mean, um i want to say like growing up asian was being was worse at least in school like not at home because i had the expectations from asian parents which is you have to get all a's god forbid you get a b plus you have to be a doctor you have to be in the medical field or something that makes six figures every year at least and at school i mean people ridiculed you because there were barely any asians i knew and i think there was only like five that i was friends with and everyone did the eye pulling everyone did the ching chong like i've been through it all this is why i don't care about hate comments because i've been through it in real life like good good luck trying to make me upset from a hate comment um but it happened like throughout all of high school and still to this day there is still a lot of discrimination against asians specifically due to coronavirus but yeah it, it sucked growing up asian because you just didn't feel like your race was good like they convinced me that being asian was bad and i should be white and that's why like i would always open my eyes like you know when people pull their eyes back to make fun of asians Mm -hmm. i would pull my eyes well like i would take them on the i I wish i could show them but like on the eyelid and under my eye and i would pull them up to in hopes that they would become bigger and i would like pinch my nose in hopes that it would be pointier and just all these little things that i was insecure about i no longer do obviously but that was just a normal thing I had to deal with growing up. Like, I didn't think about why I was doing it. I just subconsciously didn't like my race, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what about growing up gay? Like, how did that affect uh, you? Well, I didn't think about that until I was in eighth grade. I mean, I always, like, thought guys were cute and, like, girls were cute, too. But then suddenly it hit me, like, oh, my God, I do not want to marry a girl. And then I had this weird, like... I just went down this weird path on, on BuzzFeed of like, what is gay? And then I saw this video that like, what it, I literally, I think it was titled, what is gay? And I just was like, oh, am I that? And then I looked more into it because no one even told me about the word gay. Like, I just always heard it as an insult. Like, that's so gay. Like, that, I just thought like, that's so, I guess, um, I thought of it as a negative word, but I didn't realize it was sexuality. So when I started researching it, I started panicking because I was like, what are people going to think of me? And no one really bullied me about it. Everyone accepted me, even for the South. I mean, it was Charleston, but I guess no one wanted to pick on the Asian because they just picked on me for being Asian instead of being gay. And all my friends accepted me, and I didn't get bullied for being gay as much as being Asian. But at home, it was a different story because my parents are very traditional. They come from like literal mainland China, Beijing, and um, Singapore. So being gay is basically like a myth to them like it just doesn't exist there at least when they were growing up i mean it's still very discriminatory towards homosexual people in asia and they just weren't like comfortable with it because they didn't know what it was and when you don't really know something you're prone to hate it at first and that's just how it goes and i gave them room to grow when i came out to them i think it was in like halfway through ninth grade and i have this i have a bunch of stories on youtube like i documented it all throughout my channel because that was my escape at the time like no one else would listen to me besides my audience and i have this whole story about how i came out and how it went but now we're great i mean my parents love me and they said sorry to me like 2 years ago about it for not realizing and it just took time and that was it now they're fine with it you said it just took time is there anything else that it that it took, I, maybe not for your parents, but for you to go from suppressing these parts about you, both 
your Asian background, but also being gay. What did it take for you to go from suppressing to embracing that? I guess it was partly YouTube because people accepted me on there. And I was like, well, if people accept me on there, then they will accept me in real life. I mean, I had a bunch of friends who were there for me. Like they 100% played a role in it. I mean, if you had no one who would even listen to you or accept you, I don't even know how to like how I would go about that. But I was definitely very lucky to have a very loving um, family. Like they still loved me at the end of the day. They didn't kick me out. They didn't do what like other people would do if it was worse. And I always had supporting friends. So I guess having that support is important. I mean, everyone needs support in life. Mm. Yeah. And another thing for the being gay part for my parents, I know that a lot of people, especially kids, when we are like arguing with our parents, we get very defensive. I mean, I yelled at them for not accepting me. Like I would ridicule them. I It became this, we were just yelling at each other for the sake of yelling. It wasn't even about me being gay. We just both hated each other or felt like we hate each other. I felt like I had to hate them because they didn't accept me. But then it took a lot from my sister. Like she had to constantly remind me, Frederick, you have to give them time. Like you can't just shove it in their face. Just show them that you're still the same. And I think it was more of the show don't tell that helped them realize he's still our son. Like he's not different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best or sorry, like sometimes the best action is just or the best. um, I don't know how people say it like. The best thing to do is just not say anything and just show your, who you are. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. It makes sense. I mean, I come from a point of I haven't, I don't think I've explicitly told certain people that I am gay, but it's only because I am just fine being myself in front of them. I don't know. It's just something I never found the yeah, need to. You just care less about telling like everyone and having to justify it. Just as long as you are comfortable with yourself, like everything else doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it definitely came from a point at first I didn't want to tell anyone because I had a lot of internalized homophobia yeah. from myself. Um, but nowadays it's kind of like there is a little bit of um, hesitation when telling certain people. But also I'm like, you know what? If it doesn't need to be explicitly said for every party that you meet, uh, like every like no every person to. that you meet, then yeah. yes, there's no need to. People don't. It's not like I'm hiding any part of myself from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, no part that they would want to see, anyways. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's this, uh, there's like a timeline gays go through. It's like you don't, you first internalize it and you hate it, and then you accept it, and then you tell everyone about it, and then you become, or sometimes you don't, but like eventually, I feel like I became the person that's like, why do I have to tell people? Like, just if you want to know, you'll know. And that mindset, I uh, was what I did when I went to my new school, like when I moved from South Carolina to New Jersey for sophomore year, I didn't tell anyone at my school I was gay. They just knew already. Like they just assumed they would ask, but I didn't go into it saying like, just so you know, I'm gay. Like I, I didn't write gay on my shirt and just run through the hallways, you know? Yeah. Cause I didn't feel the need to. Mm-hmm. I get that. That's what I did too. And I'm only saying that because I think there is a kid who did write gay and ran through the hallways. In your school? I think so. I think this, it, it was like eighth grade. He just kept screaming like, I'm gay and banging on the lockers throughout. And I think everyone's like, okay, we get it. Like, Yeah, however yeah. you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your opinions about 
the representation of Asian American culture in media today. And I don't know whether you want to talk about mainstream media, like movies and television, or if you were planning on talking about like YouTube kind of media. I mean, they all kind of coincide at this point, but I'm just going to say right now, like I'm going to talk about the U.S. specifically because that's all I experience. Like I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk about representation in Asia, obviously, but um, definitely in the U.S. it's gotten much better, but there is still way more to go. And I think that is the same story for literally every minority, whether it's the discrimination we face, the racism, the oppression, and the opportunities we have. It's better, but it is not there yet. Because now people get to grow up with crazy rich Asians. But growing up for me, it was Mulan. And the fact that Crazy Rich Asians was the first like modern movie with an all Asian cast and an all Asian, like everyone was Asian. The last time that happened was 25 years ago, which was like, I think it was called the Joy Luck Club. And oh my God, the Joy Luck Club. <gasps> yeah. I know that but book. The fact that, the fact that that was the last one that happened prior to Crazy Rich Asians just shows exactly what needs to be said, that there is progress, but it is just the beginning. Because like, I would just want people to be able to grow up without having to think about their race and being insecure about it because i mean i thought there was a lot of progress with the movie parasite that came out and that fact that k-pop is still one of the biggest cultural um phenomenons right now like i thought there was so much progress being made and then suddenly come coronavirus every asian is like suddenly every asian has coronavirus and be racist to all asians like that happened to me in new york city yeah i mean with the whole china virus thing like and I say that as in, like, with the whole calling it the China virus thing. Yeah. It's insane. Um, but where would you put Crazy Rich Asians on, like, a spectrum? Because, of course, I can't speak from experience here. You know that. But mm. I would say something like Parasite is a perfect example of this Asian film that is taken seriously and at the same level as mainstream American, usually cast with Caucasian people films. Whereas yeah. Crazy Rich Asian, Crazy Rich Asians felt almost like, and this isn't a bad Ma- thing. It was made. It was made for Western media. Yes, it felt like here's your representation, America. Like here's what you asked for. A show, uh, like a movie, all about Asians. I don't know. It just but, had a different vibe to it, and I don't think I, that it was worse. I just wouldn't consider it like I p- put those in two different categories for Parasite and Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, I definitely put Crazy Rich Asians lower than Parasite, first of all, just because of the plot line. Because at the end of the day, Crazy Rich Asians, to me, is a mediocre love story. If you just took out the Asian part and put white people in it, it's a mediocre love story. But the fact that they were able to show just another side of Asian culture and show us in the way that isn't traditionally shown is enough for me. Because you didn't have the nerd. You didn't have the person who couldn't speak English. You had the lead was a romantic interest. You had people who had traditional like beliefs you had the mother figure you had the grandma and you had this entire scenery that is singapore and this history even though it was like kind of played out like that is a it's a little bit lavish but that's the whole point of the book series if you read it either way i just like the fact that they were able to show that but what i do um criticize is that they said crazy rich asians even though it was all people who spoke mandarin and and cantonese like there was not a single Korean or Filipino or do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. 
I get that. Like it was crazy yeah. rich Chinese people, not crazy rich Asians, because that is such a broad term that if you were gonna, if you're gonna say Asian, you have to put Asians, like all the different kinds. Yeah, I just I enjoyed the subversion. I mean, the whole concept was. I mean, it made me cry. Like it was obviously a great movie, but one like a newer movie that I think is even more about the um like oh. Here's an Asian cast is Mulan. Like, have you heard about it? Yes, I have heard not very action. good things about it. I didn't even bother watching. I saw the rev- I saw. I just watched reviews of people who watched it, and there was this girl who um, made a whole YouTube channel dedicated to critiquing it because it made her so mad. Like, this is just how YouTube works. It made you so mad that you felt the need to make a YouTube video that's an hour long critiquing the movie. And she was Chinese, and she basically just showed all the inaccuracies and the fact that even though it was an Asian cast, the producers behind it and the film, like the filmographers, all of them were not Asian. Like it was not an all Asian cast; it was just all Asian on the screen, not on the set. Yeah, I mean, I love this. Is going back, but for me, because I can't speak on Mulan, I haven't watched it. I just have, like you have, heard the bad reviews. Um, Crazy Rich Asians kind of opened my eyes to what entails the struggle between American culture and Asian culture and yeah. how they conflict. And I've heard my friends, my Asian American friends talk on those issues, but to see it played out like it was, I really understood a little bit more of what it was like fighting these very different cultures. Yeah, it is a tension that we have to deal with between Asian Americans and people f- who are living in Asia. I mean, like, there's always that idea of Asians saying you're not Asian enough because you can't read our language. You grew up in America. And my point to that is like, why are we all like, why are we battling each other when you don't realize that this is not about like, whether you're Asian enough? It's just the fact that we're supposed to be in this together and be united. Yeah. And how would you feel about something like off the boat, which is of different oh, fresh off the boat yeah fre- oh sorry fresh off the boat yes yeah well first of all i don't think people realize that the phrase fresh off the boat is talking about immigrants who are just literally fresh off the boat and basically it's supposed to be derogatory i like the fact that they put that as a title i think it was a good nod and joke but weren't they because in it's a the very show, comedic show in the show they were literally fresh off the boat correct though yeah yeah but so, um did you like I, it did you think because i know with shows like um fresh off the boat and like blackish and things like sometimes they play to stereotypes they do play the stereotypes and they just i think they just i mean obviously it's comedy but like and i'm fine watching it like i do laugh at it but i think we have to get rid of the idea that every like just get rid of the asian accent like when we're trying to speak our english and we have the accent i think it's time we get rid of that because you don't need to use that to portray an asian person in my opinion. And the jokes themselves in Fresh of the Boat, like they were funnier when I was younger, but now looking at them, they're very like stereotypical jokes you can make in terms of Asians. Like, oh, we're cheap. Let's go to the store and let's get like, oh, this is only a dollar. Like, yes, let's get it. And the idea of bartering, like they're funny, but there is more to that. And I think Crazy Rich Asians does that more. Yeah. And I guess there is a point to be made that not every show in general is made to be taken uplifting and, yeah, yeah t- like, taken so seriously yeah like i like the show i'll watch it still so what are you but what are um when it comes to things that are not okay in terms of representation i'm assuming more of like objectification glorification those kinds of things mm-hmm. what are your opinions on that in media 
Um, I think this is a very touch, uh, like touchy subject because it's not talked about. But I remember when I said K-pop was this phenomenon that's been popular for like recently popular in Western media, but has always existed in Korea. I mean, the idea like people start to mesh K-pop as just Korean music, and that is just not true. I mean, you can't say like we don't say that here. Like we don't just say. American pop. It's pop. It's jazz. It's hip hop. We have all these different varieties, but people just fail to say that in terms of Korean music. I mean, not everything is Korean pop, guys. But I think because people realize that K-pop was becoming this Western, um, like just this incredible uh, empire that was being like made in the West, they started to monopolize off of that and. Basically, cater to Western society more, and that's always—I always feel like that's how it is. Like you just start to, when something is working, you start to cater to it more, so you can get more money, obviously. But the industry itself, at least from what I've seen, is very competitive and also very toxic. But the fans—I don't think people are realizing that. Like, it's—and this is happening in YouTube too, and it's always happened where your fans become toxic or they cross a line. I mean, you've—we've all heard those stories of fans just like blatantly stalking Korean celebrities and just uh, you have these fan accounts that are just like all about Korean music. And that's fine as long as you don't disrespect the person or like invade their privacy and blatantly sexualize them. And that's something that I have such a huge problem with, which is the fetish fetishization. And I still have trouble saying that word, but like being fetishized as an Asian is just, so common because all our culture is basically fetishized in Western culture. I mean, you have our dresses that are meant to be tr- traditional dress- traditional dresses worn for the sake of being modest, but then are turned into these like th- these like sexy outfits here, which is just it's, it's rude. And uh, you have people like saying they like Asians because they're they're docile or you want to, you only want to date Asians because you think they're going to be like this. You're going to have this expectation of them being a Korean like artist and a K-pop star. And that's just not true. And I think people have to stop this idea that Asians are what you see in media. That's not the everyday Asian. Like, do you remember that TikTok trend of Chinese fashion? I'm not really on TikTok. Okay, good. Um, First of all, like that, I don't really uh, do TikTok anymore. I got rid of it, but there was this trend that people took um, like video clips of Chinese people on the streets and they were just fashionable. And then everyone started pouring in on like, oh, we love him. Like, I love your outfits. And then immediately people started to do it in terms of like Western culture. Like they tried to imitate it. And it's just why try to like take that culture and make it your own? Because it's just being disrespectful. Well, and that's what Western culture that. is. <laughs> I know it's what it does. It's everything it does. But People in the comments are like, oh my God, they're so tall. They're so skinny. I want to be like that. And that's just what I want to break is the idea that every Chinese person is tall and skinny. Like what you saw on TikTok. That is not even the norm in China. Like the video, I dare you to watch them. They're, that is like the very small city that is very, very uh, rich. And just, it's like LA. Like they just showed LA of China and mm-hmm. not China as a whole. Like, People just think that they want to move to Japan and Korea and China. And they also think that there's only China, Japan, and Korea in Asia when there's literally over 100 countries. And they have this thought that, like, it's going to be so exotic and vast and Japan's going to be so cool, full of anime, and Korea is just going to have all K-pop stars waiting for them. That's just not the reality. And 
if anything, like people who think they can survive in China and like they wish they were Chinese, that's what I have a problem with, like them wanting to be the other race and like white people wanting to dress as Koreans and like change their face structure to look like a Korean. People do that? Yes, it's a thing. It's been a thing for like years because they just it's just fetishizing them. Like you just think it's more attractive because you show you surround yourself in it for so long that eventually it's all you're attracted to. And that's a thing. Like when you grow up, there's psychology behind it. If all you grow up around is this certain demographic, you're bound to be attracted to that demographic because it's all you see. But if you surround yourself in it intentionally because you already think it's attractive and cool, then you start to have this idea that all Koreans are like this. Like all Chinese people are like this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's an issue in terms of the obsession over K-pop with the almost war culture that it has created where it's like there's so many fans and so many people following that if they band together i guess it's cancel culture in a way it is and especially on twitter and what do you think about that because i guess that could be used for good but usually you don't hear stories about that you just hear stories about how people are getting canceled the hashtag someone's over party kind of events This is what I say. The people who are in the fandoms who are good are not as outspoken. I mean, that's the thing. Like people who are just more, I guess the term is um, loud and obnoxious are just going to be shown more. Like then you're never, no one's going to talk about the people who are, oh, respect the artists and don't like invade their privacy. Like that's just a given. Like there are people like that that exist, but then no one's going to cover that on the news. They always like to talk about the people who, like cross those lines and cancel them and uh stock their accounts and just do things that are so outrageous that you shouldn't like it's just common sense to not do that i think it's just being a decent person but i think it's time that like this swarm of k-pop accounts who are just committed to canceling people that's the specific genre it's the accounts only trying to cancel people it's like time to get rid of that because I can go on Twitter and see a different hashtag is over party every day. Well, it's just straight sleuthing like this idea but that if you don't like someone, you go through their entire life to find something they did wrong to hold against them. Like you could do that to anyone in this world, in my opinion, and suffer. Yeah, well, the and thing like- is like, it's changed to something else. Like it's just, they literally do the hashtag to promote their fan cams. Like, they're not even canceling someone. They're just like, oh, stream my fan cam. Hmm. Which is like, for what? <laughs> what does that get you in life? Nothing. <laughs> no. And it's like, I do like Korean music. And I just, I don't, like, I I like a lot of things. And I don't want to say I'm in the fandom of all of them. Because the toxic people are just too much for you to be comfortable being in part of that community. Yeah, I mean. Like, I like Steven Universe. I'm not going to get into the fandom. <laughs> the fan- It's pretty funny. Yeah, I, like I mean, they're too. all just funny. Like, I wish it's possible to enjoy something without having to talk about or without having to have an audience that is just, like, blatantly making it have a a negative um, aspect to it. Like, you know, when people hear K-pop, you immediately, like, there's something you immediately go to. Like, you think of that person who likes K-pop. And that then that is getting a stereotype, too, that K-pop people are just obnoxious and they're all crazy. And that's, that's not true. Like, a lot of my audience are K-pop fans. And, and they like Korean music and they're not they don't disrespect people which is so hard to come by nowadays for some reason mm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of music fans in the world in general who just oh yeah, this is not like specific to K-pop. Like any stan in general, like Ariana Grande, Taylor, you're all under this. Okay, we're all putting you on blast. Yeah, I think stan culture is also like it's stupid. I don't know why you had to get another word for liking someone. I wouldn't say it's stupid, I because I understand where it comes from in terms of its LGBTQ history. The idea that you idolize a celebrity and put them on this pedestal in a comforting way because that's i mean that's what they used to do with like old movie stars and like gay culture it was just so i understand where it's coming from i think with the there's obviously a way to abuse it and that's the issue nowadays well you know how like you literally go on urban dictionary and and stan is just a combination of stalker fan yeah like that's just to me, it's like, why did you have to create another word to justify the actions that you do? Like, I feel like by saying Stan, you're just opening yourself to, oh, I can just like idolize this person and sexualize them and they don't care. And you, they forget that we're people. Because like as someone who has a platform and has an audience. Do you have stands? Like you have those people who are like, they just don't respect you as a person. And they just think it's okay to like talk about your body and just show like, just say like, oh, I love him so much. Like, I just that makes that does not make me feel better to have a stand. I'd rather have someone who just likes my content, and I think it's so hard to have that because you see someone that you like on on YouTube, and the more you watch them, the more you want to become like them and be like them. And I just don't want people to be like. I don't want you guys to think you have to be like me. Like that's just that's not the mindset I wanted to give. I wanted you to be yourself. So you do have stands. Yeah, I mean, everyone has stands on, like, anyone Sorry. with a platform has stands. I didn't know. I have no stands. Well, like, it's just so common nowadays, and I just wish it wasn't a thing, because I think it just makes it worse. Yeah. Now we've talked about this idea of objectification on smaller media platforms. I don't want to say smaller. YouTube and Twitter and things are huge. I'm just talking about in terms of establishment, like, how do you think that YouTube and lower down media platforms can affect mainstream media and how they see Asian Americans and also like LGBTQ people, but like at the same time, Asian Americans? Because I feel like that's more overlooked nowadays. I think YouTube is the like partly the reason that Asians are taken more seriously. I'm not gonna say YouTube or like like because it's a very big platform. I mean, like, what do you mean by overlooked media platforms? Like social media in general, like Instagram too. I'm just talking about less reputable per se because I know that YouTube is huge. Um, so let's just stick to YouTube. Actually, let's just stick. Okay. Let's stay on brand. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just talking like how YouTube, which isn't considered super high class by mainstream media and like TV and film, how do you think YouTube has the opportunity to change mainstream media's portrayal and understanding of Asian American culture and representation? I'll say, I'll put um, TikTok into this as well, like TikTok and YouTube together. I think it helps mainstream media take us more seriously because when you have a democratic platform like TikTok and YouTube, and by that, I mean, anyone can create. That's just, that's what I mean by democratic. It allows for more Asian Americans to have the freedom to post how they feel and post who they are and show the world a, more about our culture. 
and then mainstream media will eventually pick up on it if these um quote unquote overlooked platforms have like bigger trends like you know how tiktok goes through a bunch of trends each week like when chinese fashion became a trend or when the fox eye trend which we're not going to get into when the people who talked about that also became on twitter it makes people take us more seriously when those videos are shown mm-hmm. and when i say so overlooked, i like it yeah when i say overlooked i don't mean like to me youtube i put above tv and film because i yeah. consume more of youtube but i'm just I'm saying throughout about, history like yes. youtube is less it's it's younger than these original traditional platforms. Exactly. And um I think that it's just so important. I think that mainstream media hits on tokenism and can get an Asian mm-hmm. American acting stereotypically Asian American in a film no problem. It's accounts like it's YouTubers like you, like best dressed, these people that have their Asian American culture interwoven throughout the content they create but not as like a forefront, not as like a, look at me, look at who I am. Just yeah, like, I mean, let I, me be myself. And then that will incorporate itself naturally because that is who I am in essence. Yeah. Like I don't talk about being Asian American, like in every video, I don't even talk about being gay. It's just who I am as a person and I want to be seen and that's it. So if people want to see me, then they're going to know that like, like the fact that I can get an audience and also just be a gay Asian American person is all people need. Mm-hmm. And I not, also, we don't need we don't need to educate you about our culture. We don't have to show you our culture every time. We just have to you have to just show us. Yeah. As people. And I also get that um with mainstream media and when you're trying to tell a story, people they play roles. Any character plays a role. Um and they kind of have to be they can be fully fleshed out, but they kind of have to placate certain spots. Um so I feel like that's where tokenism comes in. Like they're like, oh well, what ca- archetype can they be? Yeah, and, and that's then, when you get into the Asian nerds and like the all the immigrants. Like you just you put them into those roles. Where it's like I'd rather break that idea of um, like Asians are these things, like these elements. We're all doctors or we're all smart. Like just put us as regular people. Like put us as the person that you didn't want to cast at first. Like have us as the main character. Have us as a supporting character. Just your ethnicity doesn't have to play into the role you play. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, I, everyone just... They're going to give an archetype to everyone. I'm thinking um, Hallmark movies. Like, there's always <laughs> the busy working woman who comes home to her small town. But... Did, did you hear about the gay Hallmark movie coming out? You mean the Dolly Parton musical? I already mm-hmm. have someone who contacted me Wait, really? asking if they it's can... A musical? It's a musical, yes. No, is it no, gay? I'm talking about the one about Kristen Bell and um, or not Kristen Bell, Kristen Stewart. Oh, it's no, like a I Christmas movie coming yeah. out. It's a Christmas movie that's coming out. Kristen Stewart and um, uh, what's this? The guy from Schitt's Creek. I forgot his name. Daniel, I think. I forgot the actor's name. Shoot. Dan Levy. Dan Levy. Daniel Levy. Yeah. Well, like, really. Both of them are- they're in this movie. I'm going to look it up right now. I, I just love I, it. I love that you said gay, and I was like, you mean the Dolly Parton musical? <laughs> no, because... I didn't know that was coming Netflix out. Is, Netflix is making a Christmas musical with Dolly Parton music, um, and I already had someone who messaged me and was like, I want to do a podcast just about that, like, just like a review on what that was like. 
Oh, shit. Okay, no. So this is called Happiest Season, and it's a young woman with a plan to propose to her girlfriend while at her family's annual holiday party. And then she discovers her partner hasn't come out to her parents, her to her conservative parents. Kristen Stewart is in there. Daniel Levy's in there. Aubrey Plaza's in there. Like, I'm just, I, oh, this is the cool. gay Hallmark movie of the century. I am ready. Is it Hallmark or Netflix? I don't think it's Hallmark, but I think it's, um, let me see who's creating it. It's basically a Christmas movie. Like, it's, I don't, I always, I always put Hallmark under that. I don't think I can, I don't know how to check. There's no wiki. Oh, there's a wiki. No, but not by um, Hallmark. Distributed by Hulu. So. Huh. Well, yeah. Um, what were we even saying? But yeah, so like there's these archetypes and I find it like it's so easy to put the Asian character in the Asian archetype or like the Asian character in like the hardworking archetype the same way as it is easy for a Hallmark channel to put um, basic white woman who looks a little cold into the same archetype I was talking about with those movies. I think it's just an issue of in just writing better characters, honestly. <laughs> For my final question of the subject matter, I like to ask if you were me, if you were in my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I haven't asked yet? And then go ahead and answer that. I probably would have asked, like, what does your daily life or what does your week look like as a YouTuber? Because I think I forgot to talk about that in general. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, the thing is, it's not that different from any other person. <laughs> I think people think like I think there's those videos. It's like my daily routine as a YouTuber. Oh, a week in my life as a YouTuber. And they literally play it up as like they're the main character. Like, oh, I do all of these things and like things that you don't ever have to do. But for me, it's. I go to class, I do my homework, and then on Thursdays and Fridays, I have to think about a video, and then I edit until I go to sleep, which is usually Saturday morning, like 4 a.m. And that's it. Like, there's only that little part of my life that's a little different than others. But usually, you might have a job in terms, of, like, in replacement of that. That's just how my job works. It's that one little portion that I just work, and then I'm done. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, like, uh, maybe I'm just a little different than other YouTubers in, t- in the terms of, like, I'm not in L.A. and I don't take it as seriously. But, like, some people are always, like, I go to business meetings. I'm working on merch designs. I'm working on, like, collaborations. And that's just not what I want to focus on. Like, I don't have the time I mean, or the it, energy. And it's so refreshing to have a content creator who isn't constantly glorifying what they do. Well, I just want a life out, outside of YouTube. Like, I think people have to realize that my life on YouTube is not all I do. I'm not painting 24-7. I think people forget that. And uh, like, I think YouTubers have made it so normal to just show your whole life and act like, or like act like your whole life is being shown. Like, look at my boyfriend, boyfriend tech. Oh, we broke up. Look at this new boyfriend. And now that I have a boyfriend, people are saying like, oh, will you show us him? And I to that, I'm like, why would I show a random people a bunch of, like, why would I show a whole audience my boyfriend? For what? <laughs> what does that do for me? <laughs> and what it does for YouTubers is just give them views. And that's all you want. So, no, I'm not going to show them my boyfriend anytime soon. Oh, well, you heard it here first. Glad to get that <laughs> insider info. I'm literally going to make a video called, no, I'm not going to show you my boyfriend. Because I want to end that idea that YouTubers are entitled to doing certain things. Like showing your boyfriend, showing your love life, and showing everything about yourself. Like, that's just not a thing I'm going to do. Well, people don't... I find that people don't want the 
everything about your life. They just want the highest or the lowest moments. True. They so, always want those. And it's like, why? Like, even when it's not like, even when they don't want the best of the best and they don't want you to show you, like, if they don't want to see the most glorified moments all the time, even when they're like, you can be real with us. By real, I find that they mean like, you can be very depressed in front of us and we will like it just as the same. Oh, well, it's just like you want to make your problems public. And sometimes, not, not even problems, but like I don't want certain parts of my life to be public. If I put my relationship on there, there's that pressure that if we break up, it now has to be a, a public statement as well. Because then if not, everyone's going to wonder, where has he been? Why don't you talk about him anymore? And that pressure is just not something I want to go through. And I also... Like you, this is what I meant by YouTube is not for everyone. My boyfriend, I will never talk about him. I will never show his face, like unless he wants to and is up for the amount of criticism that will come because then people are going to be like, oh, he's ugly. Like you can do better, Frederick. There's just going to be that negativity that comes back. And then he's going to have people following him on Instagram and then people tra- like tracking his life. And sometimes people don't want that. Yeah. I think, I, I also think it's very funny that. You're not even like, no, I'm not going to show them. You just like rub it in their faces. <laughs> like, I'm not going to show you. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to do the opposite of what people want. Like I will sh- I will literally like make a pretend boyfriend on the thumbnail. I will literally Photoshop in a fake person just to get them. Oh my God. Because I'm done with that expectation of like every YouTuber must, ha- first of all, have a boyfriend and or, or significant other. And then second of all, show them on camera. Like your relationship just is doesn't exist unless it's on the screen. Yeah, that's at least to them. And I think most of the times, like fans don't realize like how much criticism and just stuff happens once you make a relationship public or just anything public. Like some people, this is like almost turning to celebrity culture. Like I just don't like that idea of having to track someone's life. Just give them privacy. They did not sign up for this, and that should not be the norm. Yeah, or the pressure of having a viewership on a connection. Yeah. Because then your decisions are based on that viewership. Like, people are like, oh, they're a celebrity. Like, they're you have to realize this is what they live with. And it's like, but who made that the norm? Like, why is it that they're a celebrity, this is allowed? Like, why are you allowed to cross that line? Mm-hmm. Are they just not people? Or are they just your thing, like, your entertainment? And you're just using them as your, like, way to just look at, things that you wish you had and just want like live um i almost said vivaciously vicariously yeah so as a closing question i feel like you don't even need this i feel like i'm the one who needs to plug more than you but um would you like to plug your brand your social media your presence for me Oh, do I know how to do this? Okay. Well, if you guys enjoy this podcast, make sure to give it five stars and uh, leave a review, if that's a thing. And go to my YouTube channel. It's Frederick Chen. Go to my second channel, Lesson 3. Go to my podcast channel, which is called Top and Bottom, now streaming on other platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. My Instagram and all my other social medias are Frederick Chen YT. And I'm done. Well... Thank you for coming on. It was really great having you. It was nice to have such an interesting, different topic and something that I don't talk about all the time because a lot of times my friends come on and they talk about things that I've heard them speak of, but this was definitely unique and a lot of things that I wanted to learn and I'm glad that I got to ask you today.
Yeah, I'm glad I got to show you and tell you all about it. Well, as always, I have a new episode coming out every Saturday at 12 p.m. So stay tuned for next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you soon. Bye. Or do I not say bye?